The Lord's Supper is often referred to as the Last Supper. Uh, don't mean to bust your bubble, but that's incorrect. Because when Jesus sat down with his closest core of disciples and his friends, and he experienced what we just experienced, he did so as a visionary. It was not just to announce to his friends or underscore, because he'd already talked to them about his death, It was not just to underscore the fact that he was going to die and the purpose of his death. But it was to cast for them a a vision of the future. So as Rob had read there from the, the book of Matthew, Jesus is saying, a new covenant I'm giving to you. This is not the end. And this is not the last time that I will have a a supper with you in the, in the gospel writers, the story writers of Jesus and his experience, we get different angles, beautifully different angles of of the story and what was said. And we realize that we only have sound bites of what Jesus said. John reminds us that if we had everything that Jesus said written down, the world couldn't contain it all. The world couldn't, there wouldn't be enough space. In other words, he's saying there's a lot more Jesus said, but here's what the Holy Spirit directed us to, to write down. In the, in the chap, in Luke chapter 22, here's what we see a picture of what Jesus said. He said, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you. In other words, they shared the, the bread and the juice. And then he says, for I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. In other words, this is not the last time that I will sit and drink with you. He was casting a vision of the future. And this vision of the future says that I, he uses the word until. Otherwise, it would have just been like a normal human being. This is going to be my last meal with you. And it's a very sad time. But Jesus says, I'm going to drink this cup with you again. So I will not drink it again until... Until the kingdom of God comes, the word that changes everything is until. You see, Jesus is saying there will be a time in the future at the, at the, at the wedding feast of the Lamb that we will sit together again. And what he is doing is he's becoming that vision caster, that dreamer. He is giving them to a, a dream to look into the future. Because if you were to define what a dream is and define what a vision is, It is a vivid picture of a better future. You see, Christ is saying, I know that these next days are going to be awful. That you're going to be distraught. You're going to be bewildered. You're not going to know left from right. You're going to be scared. You're going to hide yourself. I I understand all of that. There's going to be great persecution that's going to break out against the church and against you personally. But I want to give you a vivid understanding of a, a not just a generic things are going to get better but a vivid picture with details that there's coming a day when the kingdom of God will come and we will sit at a table again you see what a vision does for us is it gives us energy and hope and it gives us well I'm going to use it jazz for a better future when you look at the scripture And you look all through the Bible, this is a theme that is threaded throughout. In other words, when God came to Moses and said, I want you to lead this people who are oppressed in the nation of Egypt. 
And I want to let you know that we're, that not only will things be better, but let me give you more detail than that. That I'm going to lead you from a land of slavery, of oppression, of cruelty, but I'm going to lead you into a land and let me describe that better future for you. It's, it's flowing with milk and honey. The produce is beyond your imagination. The fields are lush for your cattle. There's descriptions all along this journey because God is a dreamer at heart. When he gave Joseph of the Old Testament a dream, he said, now famine is going to spread out through the region. But I'm going to give you a detailed picture of how things are going to roll out. Joseph, I'm going to raise you up as a leader. And you're going to save and collect food enough, not only to save your own people, but nations will be coming to you. That's how the dream was interpreted. In other words, let me give you vivid descriptions of a better future. Because when we have that in our life, we are designed for that. And we need those details. In the 1960s, Martin Luther King stood in Washington, D.C., And he was not trying to inspire African Americans in this country just as a generic things will get better. But in that now famous I have a dream speech, if you go back and read it, I went back and read it because our conversations these days are about dreaming. And if you go back and read this, the the speech, there are vivid details of what he envisioned for a better future not only for African-Americans, but for this country. He talks about the sweltering injustice of Mississippi. He gives details about Alabama. He's very specific. And then now that famous phrase, I have a dream that my four children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And he gave hope to a people. He gave hope to a nation of a dream of a better future with vivid descriptions. And it riveted our nation and it was a turning point for change. God does that over and over and over and over because we as human beings are designed to operate at our best when we are living for a dream, not a pipe dream, not a generic dream, but for a very specific dream. Take it down to your own personal lives. When you have a dream of buying that home and you think, um, man, I I can imagine what that's going to be like. And you're, you're out and you're looking. In fact, Rob and Audrey have been looking for a home as they've come in and it's both uh, a a joyful time and an aggravating time. Houses are moving so quickly that if you like it, you better buy it right now in Sarasota. But right as the worship uh, service uh, started. He leaned over to me. He took my hand and he gripped it and he said, we have it. And I said, you have what? You know, I'm a great friend. I have what? The house. I'm like, oh, the house. Cause they've had some heartbreaks. You know, you get it and somebody else buys it and all that. And all this time over the last four weeks, he's been energized about that. It's the same for a vacation. It's the same for that job you want. It's the same. And we get energized and we're at our best moments when we say, man, I, this is the way I'm designed. So I went to a, I was out of town yesterday. I went to an all day, uh, seminar. It was a workshop, uh, of, of, on apologetics. It was just riveting. And uh, I had to drive up early in the morning. I don't trust my 19 year old car to get beyond the boundaries of Sarasota without breaking down. So I rented a car. 
And you know how it is when you rent a car, you go and you say, hey, I'm just, I want this car. And then they're, they just happen to be out of that car that you rented. I've never gotten the car that I ever checked in online. I don't know about you guys. See a lot of heads going up and down. And so you get there and they say, but we have this one. And it looks like a secret service, big, black, shiny car that you drive up in. And looks, it looks like the, the glass is bulletproof. It's just, I mean, do you have a step ladder to get into the car? It's pretty cool. And so when my kids, uh, you know, they've had to ride in my car um, enough where it's pretty cramped. Um, there's a collection of things over, you know, 19 years that have been in the car, including probably some chicken nuggets somewhere. And at least that's what it smells like. I have bug traps in my car because I, my car has bugs. I'm not kidding. Uh, it's kind of weird. So, so when dad ever rents a car, man, it's like Christmas day at our house, right? My wife is singing in the worship band today. So I, I'm in charge of getting them up early. So last night I said, Hey, Tomorrow morning, we're going to go in the rental car. Okay, man, they were, they were jazzed, right? So I was getting ready and I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, that we got in bed kind of late. We got back late, got in bed late. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to go in there and, you know, get them out with a crane, get them out of the bed with a crane. Dude, they were up. They had eaten breakfast. They had combed their hair. They had brushed their teeth. They had done everything. They were ready to go. Like, and, you know, and, and then we got in a big fight, of course. Who's going to sit in the front seat? And that just went, you know, excitement went right down. It's pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. When it comes to this this dream, God always gives a vivid picture. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a temple that's going to look like this. Even when he spoke about heaven, watch this, Revelation chapter 21. We're told that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I want you to pay attention to all the details. There's not going to be any more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more of this. Everything that's present in the future will be, it will be considered former, former. Everything former is going to be passed away. It's all going to be new. And he even gives us a seating chart. He who sits on the right hand of God. We even know that level of detail. And you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of detail. Because God understands that he wants us to live as human beings, not just this day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month existence, which just becomes stale as old bread. But he wants us to live with jazz. To be excited about something beyond our jobs, beyond the home, beyond the good things, beyond the vacations, beyond the retirement, beyond those things. And be part of a kingdom that's advancing to be part of a dream. That's the purpose of these conversations we're having, by the way. I'll remind you that on the first weekend of November, we we celebrate our 10-year anniversary. We want to look that at, at that as the starting line for a new chapter, not just to look back and celebrate. And on that day, I would like to lay out to you the dream that we feel like God has laid on our hearts for 10 years from now, for three years from now, one year from now, and 90 days from now. Because when we looked out to that, uh, that, that longer term goal, we reverse engineer it like how will we get there? In other words, there's some vivid description of a dream rather than let's just make more disciples. That's too generic. That doesn't excite anybody. We want to have a church that's excited about a better future, not only for you, not only for this church, not only for this city, 
perhaps this state and this country and beyond. It is a dream that I believe that everyone can get involved with by sticking an oar in the water if you choose to do so. But one of the main things that jazzes me that all along this process has been how can we include more people in the dream because all of us are designed to live at a level, a kingdom level, an excited kingdom level for a better future in which we can play a role. I don't know about you, but I'll repeat it again. I don't want my Christianity to be reduced to Sunday mornings where I'm inspired by a sermon and I get to worship a little bit by a few songs. That is not why we are created in Christ Jesus. He has created us to be involved. And if you're like, man, that seems really daunting. It's extremely daunting, and that's why it's exciting. We looked last week at the assignments that God gives to us. They were always ambitious, always. So as I, I was preparing for this, I was reminded of the book by John Eldridge. It's called The Sacred Romance. And there's a chapter in The Sacred Romance that's titled A Story Big Enough to Live In. And I, as we look at this this, our future here at 360 and the dream that God has given to me, I propose to you that's even more than a story. It's a storyline. There's a difference between a story which can kind of be generic because we are all living in God's bigger story. But what we're looking for is a storyline that, w- that has very specific points of celebration and goals that we can live towards and all of us can get involved with. Then I turned to the scripture and I began to ask myself, as I, I do every week, where shall we hover this week? What is that? What, what would, who would it be that we would talk about? Would it be David? Would it be, uh, would it be Joseph? Would it be Moses? Would it be? And it really became difficult not to find someone that God gave a dream to, but to find someone that didn't have a dream that God had given them to. In other words, the difficulty was that there were so many choices. When you think about Moses, he was given a vision by God that not is just going to get better, but I am leading you to a specific place of real estate. And let me describe to you what that's going to be. David, you're going to be king and I'm going to, uh, here's what I'm going to do with your kingdom. Uh, Solomon, you're going to build a temple, and here's what it's going to look like, and here are, the, here are the, the, the things. Joseph, here's a dream where you're going to save a lot of people, and God, that's the God dream. So many, many choices. I happened to, to choose this today, Abraham, because there was such a vivid dream that God gave to Abraham. And I believe that when we look at the lives of any of these characters in the Scripture, we learn how to live in a dream and what it does when it changes our life, because I believe that just like in our personal lives, we're super energized. We're like, oh, we got the rental car tomorrow. We live differently when we're in that mode. I believe that if we can collectively get in a mode where we're living for a dream that advances the kingdom of God together, we will live differently. Our lives will be different even when you wake up in Monday morning because like, man, I'm part of something that is bigger than myself and bigger than my personal life. So we're going to begin today in Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, today is a hovering day. Sometimes I skip around quite a bit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I invite you to bring them with you. 
uh, if you have a device, perhaps you're more of an electronic Bible user. If you have your uh, iPhones or your iPad or iPod or iBible or iWhatever, you can take it out. We begin today in Genesis 12 because this is the first time that God begins to intersect with Abraham. And I believe that when God intersects with Abraham, he makes him a different man because of the dream. We begin in the first verse of Genesis chapter 12. And let me just remind you, for those of you that don't know the scripture and you're just getting to know the Bible, in the Bible, God changed names from time to time. And so, for example, he changed Jacob's name to Israel. He changed Saul's name to Paul. And here's another example. So when we begin to read the story, we're looking at Abram. And then God later changes his name to Abraham. So just wanted to to let you know in case uh, that was confusing to you. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, I was recently reading how challenging it is for us to read the Bible because we know the outcomes of the story. And for that reason, we often fail to put ourselves in that position and how tough that was and how challenging it was in that moment. That if God came to you and said, hey, I've got a U-Haul here waiting out in the back. I want you to pack up your entire house. And I need by next Friday for you to move out. And I'm going to show you where we're going to go. It would be, it would, it would cause us to be unsettled a little, wouldn't it? And so in that moment, I want you to feel what, what Abraham is feeling. And so God is saying, I'm going to lead you to a country. I'll show you where it is. I'll be your GPS, but I'm going to show you, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. Here comes the dream, the dream of a better future with details. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And every single human being following this intersection, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Welcome to the big storyline. Welcome to the dream. Welcome to a change of life. Can you imagine that moment, even as scary as it was for God to tell Abram, hey, we don't, I'm not going to tell you where we're going, but every human being on earth will be blessed by you. You must know that in that moment, his life was changed, that he lived different. And trust me, It was much different than even someone being excited about a rental car. Verse 4, so Abram left. And as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, in order for this vision to take place, for Abraham to become a great nation, we, most of us know the story that he had to uh, give birth, his wife had to give birth to a son, a child, a boy, in order for this thing to be ignited. So when you read that story, and, and we begin to, to kind of unfold it, I believe that there are several things that we learn that we must elevate our minds in order to live out the dream. Here's the first thing. We must be willing to wait for a big dream. In other words, 
We cannot be impatient when it comes to a larger, bigger dream. Now, I, like every other human being, have plus column and a minus column in my life. In other words, there are certain things I do well. There are certain things that I don't do so well. On the well, I'm a hard worker. That'd go in the plus column. I'm loyal to to whatever I'm doing. That'd be a plus column. I'm an honest person. That'd go to the plus column. Patience, negative column. I am an impatient person. I like things now. I work hard. It doesn't matter what it takes to get them now. And so for me to think large and long, it's against everything about my wiring. And I'm not, I don't think I'm alone because we live in a microwave remote control culture that everything is like this. I think I'll do something magnificent by next Thursday. It doesn't happen that way. So Abraham is going to have to learn to wait when God gives him this dream. Now, here's the thing. Given that Abraham is 75 years old, and in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's kind of a post game that tells us a lot of what's going on in the, in the, in the Old Testament. These are not my words, but the Bible's words. Not only was he 75 years old, but in the book of Hebrews, Abraham is described as good as dead. Thanks a lot. Somebody said to me yesterday, boy, you're looking tired. I mean, you can't imagine saying, hey, you're looking as good as dead today. You know, that feels great. In other words, the old hopometer wasn't real high for him to be able to have children, not only because he was 75, but it, the Bible himself, God himself is saying he was as good as dead. So you would think, given those circumstances, that when God said, hey, from you, I need to, to bear a son, and because you're going to be this great nation, you would think because he's 75 years old and deemed by God to be as good as dead that we better get busy. We better get on it. But when you begin to read the story and put things together, you understand that God moves at a different pace than we do. Especially when it's a big dream because there are things that God needs to do before the dream comes to be. So watch this. Genesis 15, if you want to turn over a few chapters, God shows up again. Now you got to imagine Abraham must be excited when he comes and says, Hey, I know you haven't been able to have children all these years. They had no children, he and his wife Sarah. 75 years old, I'm going to give you a child. You know he must have been excited. I'm guessing from month to month, Abraham said, Hey, how are we doing? Right? <laughs> trying to be politically correct here. How are we doing? Is, do we have a baby? I wonder if he built a crib. I'm going to guess he did. And then when the crib was sitting there for a year, I wonder if he began to say, hmm, it's not going to happen as fast as I thought it was going to happen. And at the end of two years, at the end of three years, at the end of four years, and now when he's 80 years old and I got the dream when I was 75, can you put yourself in his shoes today? Because when we get to, to Genesis chapter 15 and God shows up and he takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look up at the heavens and count the stars in verse 5, if indeed you can count them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
in this, at this intersection, for those of you that take notes and you like to study and go a little bit deeper, later on you can look at the next chapter, 16, verse 3, and you'll find out at this intersection, Abraham is now 85 years old. God shows up in Genesis 12 and says, good news, you got, it's gonna be a boy. He waits 10 years. Don't forget, he's old and he's as good as dead. God's words, not mine. And God shows up and says, the dream is still alive. You're going to have to learn to wait. And then what happened? You would think, okay, oh, whoo, the dream's still alive. 85, good as dead. Sarah, I got great news. God showed up. Get ready. Dust the, dust the dust off that, knock the dust off that crib I made 10 years ago. Whoo, we got a baby coming. 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, and there's still no baby AB. <laughs> Genesis chapter 17. God shows up again in verse 1 when Abraham or Abram was 99 years old. God said, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. The whole land of Canaan where you're now an alien. I will give you an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be your God if you're Abraham. Come on, let's be honest. Wouldn't you say, can we get on with the plan? With the dream. A quarter of a century after God tells him he's going to have a baby Isaac was born. God is saying, the dream is huge. And if the dream is huge and it's going to change the world, you're going to have to learn to wait. And man, does that grind against me. Now watch this. God knows things that we don't know. Would we agree? When Abraham became 137 years old, his wife died, Sarah. But then he married another uh, wife, and then they had more children. You can look at it in Genesis 25 later on. But in the seventh verse of Genesis 25, watch this. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. You know why? He ate kale. I keep trying to tell you people, (laughs) eat more kale. Just think about it. You see, when we're so uptight about this little square on the game board, God said, oh, it's bigger than that. At 75 years old, Abraham had no idea that he had another century to live. God has got it under control, y'all. That's what he's saying. He's got it under control, and he sees a bigger picture. So, Steve, when you're becoming so impatient, allow the God who created an epic universe to do his job. God has given us an epic dream. Let's learn to elevate our minds and be patient and wait, even in a culture that seems to be shoving us in the back and honking the horn behind us every day. We live on his timeline, not ours. Secondly, if you have a dream, nothing 
can stop you because you believe in a better future. There are times when I've gone to do a project, you're probably the same. I painted the inside of my house. I knew in my mind, oh, it's going to look a lot better. It's going to be a vivid description of a better future. And nothing can stop me. I mean, I'm going. I'm tired. It's 4 a.m. I've almost finished the living room. You know how it goes. And you get energized because you believe that that dream, that future betterment is a reality. It's not just a concept. All of these guys, when you think about Moses, what he put up with for four decades, not because he was just wandering around, but because there was a specific dream to be fulfilled and he pushed through it. Don't you think for a second that Martin Luther King, he he believed with all of his heart that America could be more fair, more just, more equal, and he gave his life because it was not just a concept. It was a reality that he believed for a better future. When I look at the life of Abraham, he teaches us not only that we have to wait for big-time dreams, but we have to have a spirit of perseverance that just won't stop. And some things really aren't worth it to me, to be honest with you. If the dream or the activity is not big enough, then I don't want any part of it. For example, I hate Monopoly. I've said it out loud. I hate it. I know as a family man, I should love Monopoly. I should, but anytime the kids say, hey, you want to play Monopoly? I'm like, oh no, please. We dropped the kids off at my friend Chris's house and he said, uh, he told me, uh, text him, hey, we're running a little bit late. He said, hey, no problem. We're playing Monopoly. You know what I did when I read that text? I'm like, yes. We don't have to play for another month. Awesome. They've already got their Monopoly fix. I got a question for you. Have you ever seen anybody win Monopoly? I mean, can you win Monopoly? I don't know. Maybe you can. I've seen it one time in my life. I, I worked with this pastor. He was super competitive. And so we were going to go to someone else's house and play Monopoly. And so this this pastor's name was Charles. Charles had his own Monopoly game at home. He took all his Monopoly money and secretly hid it <laughs> and infused it into the game. The guy was embezzling fake money in Monopoly. See, I don't care enough to persevere. I'm like, I'm out. Well, I'm out of money. Hey, great game. It's been eight minutes. I'm out, right? <laughs> we don't want a dream that's so easy and not worth pushing through. See, I don't only want to win with you. I want to struggle with you. Because anybody that's ever launched anything great understands there is struggle. So I went through Abraham's life. Let me just give you some bullet points from, from point A to point B. And maybe you ask yourself the question, where would you have pulled the plug? You know, right from the beginning, Abraham, hey, time to launch out. There was a famine. Wow, thanks a lot. Because here's why I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share this list with you. We can fool ourselves in thinking that because God has given us a dream, God has given us a path to a better future, that there shouldn't be any obstacles in it. Try to tell that to Moses. 
Try to tell that to Joseph. Try to tell that to Daniel. Try to tell that to the disciples who right off the cuff, who had been with the resurrected Christ, within a very short amount of time, landed themselves in prison. Tell that to the apostle Paul that was beat from an inch from his, to an inch from his life many, many times. Hey, what do you think of the dream now, Paul? What do you think of that, the dream now, Peter? What do you think? They're about to crucify you upside down, Peter. What do you think of the dream now? You see, God, when he gives us a dream, never, ever promises that there will be no hurdles, no canyons, no opposition. Never promises that. So right from the beginning, Abraham, he's, there's a famine. You remember he goes down to Egypt. He fakes a move with his wife. Because the leader, he was afraid of the leader of Egypt that, that, that they would kill him and take his wife. So he fakes a move and said, this is my sister. Of course, they found out about it. They were ticked off. And they said, what have you done? And they deported him. Hey, good start to the dream, wouldn't you say? And then there's an argument within the family. The workers of Lot, his nephew, were arguing with the work, with his own workers. And it came to a point and uh, to a head, and it and they had to have a family split. Okay, Lot, you go this way, I'll go this way. Right from the beginning, there, there there's a, 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 an argument. And then Lot was living in another area, and Lot was kidnapped. You might remember the story. Abraham had to risk his life with 318 men like a Navy SEALs rescue operation and go in and rescue his 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 uh, nephew. How about at this point? Would you pull the plug? Would you begin to wonder? Hey, there's so much opposition to this thing. Maybe I maybe I misread this whole this whole dream thing that God gave. And then of course there was a family explosion. You know the tabloids the next morning had the names Hagar and Ishmael. The the Abraham wanted to accelerate the dream and took his maidservant Hagar and had a baby named Ishmael. And then Sarah, his wife, abused her, we're told in the story, physically abused her, sent her away. And there was a family feud like you nobody's business. How about now? Would you pull the plug? Would you begin to wonder? Yeah, you know, I, I read the stories of the old missionaries. And and they go on the field and they lost children. They lost their lives imprisoned. They kept going because they knew the dream was from God. Abraham truly was a man of faith. There were times where I'm sure he doubted, but he had faith that had traction. In other words, no matter what came to him, he had the traction. And then, of course, God comes to him and says, we're going to have a new covenant, and we're not going to sign it with ink. We're going to sign it with circumcision. Hey, go try to to, uh, to explain that one to your to your men. It was not a happy day in the camp that day, my friends. I'll leave it at that. Then the headlines hit: Sodom and Gomorrah annihilated. Would you have pulled the plug then? The monstrous, the monstrous. Hurdles that he faced. Same thing. He didn't learn anything the first time when they went down to Egypt. Came across a, a leader. His name was Abimelech. Faked a move again. So this is not my wife. This is my sister. Deported again. Thrown out. I mean, just awfulness. And then Isaac was born. Once Isaac was born, 
Sarah said, you remember Hagar? I want you to send her on a death march and exactly what Abraham did. Send her out to the desert to die. And then about 15 years into this great dream where nations are going to be blessed, God looks at Abraham in the eyes and he said, you remember, you know, your son, Isaac, I want you to kill him. Is this dream from God or not? Of course, I always have to say in that story, God stopped that part of the story. He's testing Abraham. But the point of this, this list that I'm giving to you, listen, I don't want to be a church that is so at the level of doing nothing that we reach no hurdles, that we face no opposition. Because if we're a church that's truly moving the kingdom of God and we're or experiencing that high level of jazz, we can count on the fact that there will be hurdles and tough times. But as we struggle together, we are saying to God, no matter what, we are here by faith to advance the kingdom of God. Shall we strap on our goggles? Because I want to live that kind of life. I do not want to live the recliner Christian life. How about you? How about this side? I got one over here. Yes. <laughs> none of us do deep down. I know it's easy to take the, the, the easy route, but none of us do deep down. We are designed to live in a story that's big enough, a storyline that's big enough. I re, I'm reminded of the, the Apostle Paul who had a dream to go to Rome, to change the world for the Gentiles, to have a dream to go to Jerusalem, to change the world for those who could not see Christ yet. Watch this. It's how much he believed. Nothing could stop him. Acts twenty twenty two. Paul says, And now, given a dream by God, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Here's the word that was on the T-shirt that Paul wore every day. However. However. This is what I'm asking our church to prepare our hearts for. However. Oh, I'm asking me tough. However. <laughs> Maybe some opposition. However. Maybe some discouraging chapters. However. However, Paul says. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the dream that Jesus has given to me. The dream of a better future, the, the vision, the task that, that Christ has given to me. I'm reading a book right now called The Lion Chasers, Mark Batterson's, his newest book. He writes in, in, in his, in Chase the Lion these words, fighters don't walk away when the going gets tough. They fight to the finish for their convictions. There is a moment in every dream journey when you have to fight for what you believe in. See, I believe that Abraham did it when there was a famine, when he got deported, when his family was falling apart, when there was abuse, when there was th these, this command to sacrifice, all these things along the way, 
Abraham had to make a choice because like any other human being, he could have said these two fatal words, I'm out. But he didn't. He said, however, and that's what God is looking for. Finally, let me just spend one minute on this. Number one, if you have a dream from God, collectively together, you have to understand that it takes a while to get there. Number two, we have to understand that we have have to have a however mindset. No matter what, we're not stopping. And number three, if you have a dream from God for a better future, you cannot do it alone. And you don't want to. In other words, if there's a land that's flowing with milk and honey that's so exciting, that makes the world a better place, then you don't want to just enjoy the jazz by yourself. You want to be able to say, I want you to be part of it. Now listen, I'm going to speak off script right now. I'm going to tell you this pastor's heart. There have been a couple of opportunities that have come my way that are like, wow, those are amazing opportunities to speak to church planners, to do some some things and to, to really make some impact somewhere. And I'm excited about those. I truly am. I'm excited that any time the kingdom is. But I talked to my wife this week and I said, I'll tell you what's going to be exciting. I'll tell you what's really, really going to be exciting for me. The exciting thing for me is that when the, when, uh, when the day comes and I get the call, that I have 10 other people that I can call and say, you do it. You experience the jazz. You step in where I, I normally do. You do it. I don't want to do it all. I don't want to experience the, the jazz. I want you to have the jazz. And when we got 20 people and 30 people and 40 people, this past Tuesday, we, we started an eight-month process of what's called a leadership pipeline development. And it's all about how can we get everyone to have an opportunity to participate in the dream because if you get to participate in the dream, you know that there's going to be yes. Again, over here, they didn't have their coffee. I know. Sorry. Yes. Man, that's when it gets... You remember when Jesus sent out a large group of people two by two? Right in the middle of his ministry? It wasn't until that. It wasn't. He didn't wait until after he died and came back from the dead. He sent them out. And you know what they did? They came back with a lot of. Yeah. Remember, they were so excited, like, oh, man, Jesus. And, you know, Jesus was like, bingo. Now you're in the bigger storyline. And that's what excites the heart of God. And I'm telling you from an authentic place, it's what excites the heart of this pastor. Not that it's just the, the pros, the staff, and any of that, but it excites you and that your life is just not Monday through Friday with a 401k. That's not why God has designed you. I got two words for you. Let's go. Let's go. Father, we're grateful. We're so grateful that Christ is not only our Savior, He's not only our king, our Lord, but he is our visionary. That at that supper, God, which was not the last supper, that he pointed to a better future. God, as you have pointed so many times in history to a better future with vivid descriptions of how to get there and what it will be like. So as our church prepares, God, we want to 
we want to call on you to begin to motivate us by actually, God, making us discontent with a Christian life that is just nice. A Christian life that just seeks to be inspired by sermons, by podcasts, by, by songs. God, to make us unsettled with that level of Christianity because there is something greater that Moses and Joseph and Abraham and the disciples and on and on and on that they got to experience a deeper life purpose, God. That is the purpose of this uh, of this conversation today, Father. And I'm praying that you take human words and empower us, take them and translate them to our heart, God, through the translator of the Holy Spirit. And I am praying for us, God, to be dissatisfied with just status quo. Whether it be five people, God, or 305 people. Father, I pray, we pray as believers together for those who have been courageous enough to come today and they're looking for you. But deep down, intrinsically, they they believe, God, and they know that there's a gap between you and them. And so, Father, today, perhaps your spirit churned in them, moved in them to, to help them to realize that there is this gap. And we pray together as believers that at this intersection and even in this moment, God, in such a simple way of faith, to be part of your story, God, they would bridge that gap, realizing that they can do no good work enough to reach you. Perhaps that's you in this quiet moment of prayer. Perhaps that's you. You say, gosh, I, it, the story of God being involved in it seems something I want to do, regardless if it's hard regardless if it's it's joyful, whatever that is, I want to be a Christ follower. And in this moment, I would encourage you just to very, God loves a raw prayer, raw and simple. God, I need you. I recognize my own brokenness, my sin. That it, I recognize there's a separation between you and I, and I, I quite frankly don't know where I would end right now if I died tonight, I, I I don't know. But God, I I want to be rescued. I want the gap to be over, and I reach out to you in faith, believing that Jesus Christ died for me. And on the cross, because his blood was spilt for me, I receive that. I depend on that. I believe, God, forgive all my sins and ignite a new life in me. Perhaps you've prayed that prayer of faith. We're praying for you.
if you pray that prayer of faith. Sometimes we pause and just say, was that you today? Because we want to pray for you. And sometimes we pause and say, hey, can we pray for you? Maybe that is you, that you would say, I, I, I want Christ in my life. Can I ask you in a very non-embarrassing way to lift your hand if you say, I want Christ today. I just prayed for that. And then you can slip it right down. I want to look you right in the eye and say, I'm praying for you, if that is you. And we'll wait just a minute. Maybe an awkward for you, but that's okay. This is such an important eternal moment. I want Jesus in my life. Anybody? In, yes. Thank you. I see your see that. Thank you. Anyone else? We'll wait right here. Yes. Thank you. Yes, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Father, thank you for this moment. Certainly not intended for anything but an authentic moment that we capture away from the the clamor of the world. Father, I'm going to I'm going to pray now for believers and I'm going to I'm going to ask believers today in the quietness of this moment in a very non-embarrassing way. And I'm not even going to look up. I'm going to pray with you as a sign to God for you to say, I don't want to live a status quo Christian life, God. And just together, if that's you, to raise your hand toward heaven right now. And as I'm raising mine, just leave it up. No one's looking. I'm not looking. With our hands raised, God, We say the same thing as many did in the Bible. Here I am. Here I am. Take my life, God. Because I want to live in your storyline. And you can put your hands down. Thank you, Father, for even the privilege of being in in your story and your storyline. So this church, God, we give ourselves to you. And we pray, God, that you would allow us and our thinking, our minds, and our hearts to be elevated in the name of Jesus.